everybody. Good morning, everybody. everybody. Good, good evening, I should say, for Ms. Burroughs, who is on the other side of the world right now. How about, how about all the Janice girls over on the other side of the world? Sitting right. over in London, right? It's mm -hmm. the end of their day. So some of us, most of us are on coffee, but some of us might be yeah. unhappy hour already. <laughs> Great. This is wonderful. So I see people are, are funneling right in. We are cruising. Great. Okay. Well, I mean, I think we're just about ready to kick it off. So Julie, if you'd like to um, do the, uh, the official introduction. I'm more than happy to. Thank you, Ms. Garrido. I appreciate it. I want to um, thank everyone for attending today. We're so excited. This is our second annual women's panel, the great women of Denver. And um, I will tell you that we love doing this with our sponsor, Janice Henderson. Thank you, you guys, for one. Thank you for everything you did and helping with that sponsorship. But um, last year we did this panel discussion. We had three wonderful women and there were about 150 of us on the call. And it was right after COVID kicked in. And it was just so, there was so many great comments and texts coming in. I moderated it last year and people were like, thank you for doing this. This is wonderful. And it was just the feeling of love came through. And I think you're going to see some of that today as we talk to three great women about the, how they're changing the world of data and changing the world, period. Um, so what we're going to go ahead, I'm going to do a little housekeeping and then I'm going to introduce who we have on the line with us, all these beautiful ladies. Um, we do not, we're not going to use the question uh, little area here. We're going to use or, or raise your hand, Q&A or raise your hand. We're going to work over in the chat. And the reason why is we want people collaborating. So we really welcome your input, any good stuff you can say about what's going on. And I'm going to start with, if you were on the pan, the first annual panel, then please let us know over in chat so that we know that, you know, we've got a following from last year. So um, we are recording this session. So if you don't want to be any part of that, let us know and or hang up. How about that? But we are recording this session. <laughs> and we also ask you to be patient with us. We've got a lot to go through today. Kaylee is going to be talking to these three ladies at a pretty fast pace. So at the end, if we have some time left, we'll hit your questions. But if we can't get to them, we will definitely send them out to the different panelists and see if we can get some answers back for you. So be patient. There's a lot of good information that's going to come out of the call today. So today I am honored to have working with uh, five great women on this. The first one is Rowan Bardini. And she, uh, as I mentioned before, helped Kalia put this together. She's our premier sponsor. She runs a ladies group, one of the ladies groups, right? Rowan, you've got a couple over at Janice Henderson. Okay, and so she's been great along the way. Thanks for all your hard work and uh, just gathering everyone up and working closely with Kalia. And then we have rock star Kalia Garrido, who many of you know, who leads many of our uh, events. She is our CMO and co-founder at Great Data Minds. She has a passion for women, including running her own organization on the side called Healthy Women Leaders. I recommend you go ahead and sign up for that one too. We all need to be staying healthy as we do all the great work that we're doing. One of my true favorites in the Denver area, Ms. Sharon Allpress, I love her. Um, she is such an inspiration. She's doing some really great work over at DCP Tech Ventures. And she's gonna talk to you about, you know, different types of organizations like Ventures and how they're making a difference to their motherships and to also the um, vertical that they're in. Jessica, 
Irate, I think I met you probably five years ago through another partner, and I was always impressed. And I think Rowan, no, another woman at Janice recommended that we reach out to Jessica and get her on this call. I said, I know Jessica, but she <laughs> is going to talk to us. She's over at Baroom right now, and she's going to talk to us about breaking the, the gender barriers and data. So she came from oil and gas. So that's pretty big. There's That's a pretty predominantly male uh, vertical. And so um, looking forward to hearing from you, Jessica. And Miss Lisa Fritz, who's just, just happy all the time. She's going to talk to us about artfully managing explosive departmental growth. And she is the global head of Q&A at Janice Henderson. So all of these great women, thank you for joining us. Um, let's get the party started, Miss Kalia. I'm handing you yeah. the reins. Thank you very much. So um, before we get into our panel discussion, I will hand it over to Rowan Bardini, who can give us a little bit of background information on Janice Henderson. So my name I think is you're, oh, there you, no, you're not muted. Oh, oh sorry about that. I was just gonna say, um, thank you for that introduction. My name is Rowan Bardini, and I'm a product owner and an agile coach within the global technology team here at Janice Henderson Investors. I'm also a co-lead of the Women in Technology Employee Resource Group that we have here as well. Um, so I'd like to just start by saying that uh, Janice Henderson is extremely proud to sponsor the second annual Great Data Mining Women event. And for those of you who are not familiar with Janice Henderson, uh, we exist to help our clients achieve their long-term financial goals. And we're committed to adding value through active management. And Janice Henderson is not just invested in our clients' goals, but also in the success of each of our employees. We have exceptional benefits, development opportunities, and a dynamic, fun, and inclusive culture. A role at Janice Henderson is more than the job. It's a place where our clients, communities, and colleagues experience powerful connections. Connections like the one here with Great Data Minds Women and creating this platform to bring these fabulous ladies together to share their inspirational stories. A career at Janice Henderson is about connecting you to what matters, and that's our employee value proposition. And we focus on that in four distinct ways. The first is purpose, roles where you can make a real impact. Second is people, which is our greatest asset. And that's where we have strong trust, communication, and collaboration. Third is through opportunity, supporting your ambitions and investing in you and your goals. And fourth is the Janice Henderson way of life, reflecting the values and priorities of our people and community. I'm proud to say that I've been at the firm for two years now, and I've seen each and every one of those values in action firsthand. Um, it feels great not just to love your job, but to love the company family that you're part of. Again, it's truly an honor to sponsor this fantastic event. Thank you, Great Data Minds Women, for the opportunity. Uh, and can't wait to hear from our panelists today. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Rowan. I have to say, like, uh, when I spoke to you and Lisa and our prep call, like, it definitely comes straight through that you that you both feel very passionately about working for Janice Henderson. So we're definitely thankful that. Um, we have you as a sponsor today and that we've been able to do this collaboration. So let's just get right into it. I would love to start with some um, introductions uh, from each of the panelists and um, Lisa, Miss Lisa Fritz, we'll, we'll kick it over to you. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, please? Sure. Uh, thanks for having me, Lisa Fritz. Um, so not going too far back, but I'm a Californian. Uh, I was born in California and moved out to Colorado, the lovely Colorado um, in 1997. And I attended the University of Colorado Boulder um, on 5-5 and was fortunate enough to get on the volleyball team. I don't know how it happened, but it was a wonderful experience. Um, my kids play sports and um, I'm really happy with that. Um, but I got a business degree with emphasis on IT and management. 
Um, so I graduated in the lovely year of 2020 or 2001. And so the bubble had bursted. Um, I found myself in a quality assurance position at Oracle, um, which at the time was JD Edwards. Um, that was not something I necessarily chose, but it kind of clicked. I think I got into an internship program, which kind of nicely guided me into my first role. Um, I would say, you know, around eight years after that, I did a lot of the jumping between smaller companies, mm -hmm. uh, was in the healthcare, healthcare industry, the retail industry, um, a lot of technology firms. Um, I tended to gravitate more towards the technical side of quality assurance. So had some coding stints, um, definitely had uh, an organization where I dove deep into the database, which is one of my favorites, by the way. Um, and also I turned into a little bit of a process junkie. So I always really focused on the how. And so between those two blends of things, it started to shape my career a little bit. Um, in 2010, um, I landed a job at Janus. And so I've been here for the past um, almost 11 years. I think this is probably the company, you know, as Rowan stated, where I've had the most personal and professional growth, I would say. Um, this company supported me through getting married. I have two children, have both of them here. Um, I have a husband who's a stage four cancer survivor. So they were very supportive in that. Um, and all the while too, I was able to grow professionally. So I had my first management job here. Um, and my current role, I received about five years ago. So Janice went into a global merger uh, with Henderson. Um, really, really, really great experience for me and growth opportunity. Um, uh, I was tapped on the shoulder to build a quality assurance organization out of practically scratch. So I think that's a lot of what I'll talk about today is the last five years of how we were able to grow. Um, but my current job, um, I manage quality strategy, um, delivery processes and practices, which really centers around a lot of the SDLC and product management processes here. Um, we have a transformation program to try to shift our ways into product-centric practices as well as enterprise agile practices. And then we have a new kind of stood up capability um, around product operations and governance. Um, and so lastly, I think from a personal standpoint, um, I live on a couple acres and so I love landscaping. Um, mm -hmm. My husband says, if I buy another tree, he'll divorce me. Um, we'll see about next year, right? Um, more trees. Yeah, more yes, trees. exactly. I love the trees. I'm building a forest. Um, I love golf, and I, I, I'm kind of proud to say I'm horrible in the kitchen. So. <laughs> wow. Okay. That was a great introduction. I feel like I, I feel like I know you. There's so many things we can go for. That was great. Okay, I want to come and play golf in your forest. I would love it. <laughs> we do do that, by the way. <laughs> I bet you do. I bet you do. Um, okay, thank you so much. So Sharon, let's go to you next. Can you give us a little bit of um, information on your background story and kind of how you came to be here today? Sure. Yeah, thanks. So thanks for having hosting this panel and having us on here. I'm really pleased to be here. Um, I'm Sharon Allpress. I uh, am a, a ventures associate with uh, DCP Tech Ventures. We are um, wholly owned and a part of DCP Midstream. I'll, we'll talk about that later um, about me. I'm from the other side of the, the country. I'm from the East Coast. And I actually grew up until I was in second grade in Switzerland. And for us, the weekends were skiing in the Alps. Mm -hmm. And then my parents moved us to New Jersey, which was a serious buzzkill um, from yeah. this perspective. <laughs> Um, skiing in New York State just didn't do it. It wasn't the same. So 
Um, as soon as I graduated college, I headed out to Colorado, and um, here I am in, in Denver. Um, I came out here under the guise of going to graduate school. Really, I came out here to ski. Um, but through graduate school, um, I did a lot of, um, I did my master's in um, remote sensing, so satellite mm -hmm. imagery interpretation, and a whole um, involved with that is a lot of machine learning, a lot of applied statistics, um, working with a lot of big data. And then from there, I went into the um, consulting world and did a lot of consulting um, in the electric uh, distribution fields and also gas and water distribution. So getting you know, the, the energy from the substations to people's homes um, mm -hmm. and then really building out modeling um, the feeders, right? So we can build outage management systems um, to identify and um, automatically track when, say, there's an, an outage um, in an area. And uh, so that was uh, definitely being in the software side of the world and then also being in the utility industry, very male-dominated. Um, mm -hmm. So I had a lot of, a lot of lessons there um, that I learned along the way. And then um, I decided I was getting a little bit bored of that area and the SaaS startup world was kind of kicking up and mm -hmm. I saw what was going on in Silicon Valley and I thought, hey, you know, I want, I want to do something with that. I want to get involved. So I pivoted um, and went to a startup uh, on um, IoT sensors. Mm -hmm. So we look, we were looking at IoT sensors and helping stream that data um, into um, for utilities, for industry and in that area. And I, I got a lot of um, understanding and learning around startup, the startup world, um, mm -hmm. getting funding, getting your first customer, um, getting a reference customer. It's really, really, really hard, um, but learned a whole ton from there. And then from there, just stayed in the SaaS world and the software world getting into product um, and then ended up back in the energy um, sector working for DCP Midstream. So we're a natural gas midstream provider. And so from here, I've just been working in product um, for, for DCP, looking at um, trying to make sense of gobs and gobs of data, building out decision support systems with advanced analytics. And then from there have transitioned over to the tech ventures group we're um, now evaluating startups to bring emerging technologies into DCP to help drive us and future-proof us um, as an organization, but then also thinking about the industry and how do we move our industry forward um, from a digital transformation standpoint. Mm -hmm. So that, that's a little bit about, about me and how I got here. Yeah, I love that. I love, I love how you are and we'll talk a little bit more about what it is that you're doing, but it's not just what you're doing for DCP midstream. It's also what you're doing for the industry. I think there's something really awesome um, in that too. So we'll talk about that in a second, but let's go um, right over to Jessica. Can you give us a little bit um, of uh, your, your origin story? Yeah, for sure. Um, welcome everyone. Thank you so much for joining. I am so honored to be in this panel with Lisa and Sharon. Thank you, Kalia and Julie for organizing this. Um, so I'm going to go from now to before. I'm going to do a little bit different background of myself, but um, currently a senior manager of data science at Room. We're an e-commerce company that enables customers to buy, sell, and finance cars online. 
Um, so you can basically buy your car and it will arrive to your house, um, like Amazon kind of thing. Um, I have 10 years uh, plus of experience with working with data science and research and field operations. And um, before coming to Broom, I was at Well Data Labs, which is a tech company here in Denver uh, that does suffer for oil and gas. And I launched and grew a data science team, and I led the development of several robust models for um, basically automating and recognizing events in time series sensor data. So oil field technical data. Um, the work that I led there resulted in several patent pending technologies, and um, it was featured in several conferences and publications. Um, and throughout all my work uh, there, I was, I've also been really involved with the Society of Petroleum Engineers and held several roles uh, in the Denver board and in conferences and committees. I do love uh, to stay involved in the community and in events like this. Um, before working in tech and in the data world, I worked in oil field um, operations. So I, um, I'm actually a petroleum engineer by background. So um, I have a bachelor and a master's in petroleum engineering. So I started my career working as a field engineer in offshore platforms in South America. Um, also worked onshore um, in other countries in South America. And then I moved to um, Europe, where I was working more in like operations and logistics, um, still in the oil industry. And that's where I made the decision to quit my job and move to Denver, well, move to Golden to pursue my master's. Um, and while I was doing my master's, I kind of like realized my love for data and for analyzing data. So that's kind of how I transitioned into the tech slash um, oil and gas, and then now outside of the oil and gas. Um, I'm currently a distinguished lecturer for uh, SPE, uh, and my talk is focused on um, applications of data science for time series data. And other than that, I love plants um, and gardening. It's like my passion, and you can see them maybe in, in my background. Um, I love propagating plants and uh, growing vegetables. Nice. I do some of that myself too. Okay, great. Well, thank you um, everybody for those fabulous introductions. And I think to get things kicked off, we're gonna um, focus on you, Lisa. Um, and like Julie mentioned, uh, we are you know kind of focusing on how you are artfully managing explosive departmental growth. And I know that the sort of the your your title, your job title doesn't necessarily, so your job title is global head of QA, doesn't necessarily encompass all of the things that you are actually doing um, on the day to day. And when we had our first uh, prep conversation, um, a theme that kept coming up was about breaking limitations, or it's kind of like the, like sort of not not allowing a limitation, be it this is what your job entails, to kind of stop you from maybe doing more, stretching above um, or beyond kind of what your, your um, I don't know, standard set of role, like of job responsibilities should be. So I wanna ask you a little bit more about that. Like how do limitations or like perceived limitations, like this is your job and this is what you do. How has that ever um, come into play in your role? Have you allowed it to stop you or have you just blasted through? And I think I know the answer already, but please share with us. You bet. Um, so first and foremost, 
you talk about limits. I mean, everyone has, I, I reference it as a box, right? So um, boxes are important, right? So I have a job description. Um, I have a boss. I have a company. I have objectives that I have to do. So um, first and foremost, I always try to nail my box. Uh, you know, have the best damn box you can build, right? No matter if you're happy with your job or if you're craving for more, um, you know, keep your house in order is what I always like to say. Um, I think in the past, you know, this being on this panel was good because I sat down and it's good to do some self-reflection. And I looked back, you know, and I'm kind of talking more so the last five years, four or five years. Um, I think what I tended to do is develop a, sen a, a what I call a spidey sense. Um, and it, it, it kind of starts to venture beyond the box. So mentally and just how I engage, I remove my job description a little bit from that. Um, and I, I, I work very heavily off of contextual awareness. So what that looks like for me is I really like org charts, um, not so that I can hold people accountable, but it's more so I can understand the context and how the organization operates. So what are the teams? I'm a big people person and the fact that I like to meet people personally, understand what makes them tick, um, understand what they're good at, what, what they can teach me, uh, maybe there's something I can teach them, how everything's connected. Um, so I tend to form good relationships, try to form good relationships across the organization. Um, operating models, so how does the organization get things done? Um, it can be as simple as I have a new employee on board, what does that look like to I have a big idea, how do I get funding through? Um, culturally speaking, um, a lot of my job is trying to change ways of working and transform the organization. Um, so I pay a lot of attention to cultural pockets across the organization and what, what amount of change the organization or pockets of it can actually handle um, or what's, what's the risk appetite, right? So it's good to know these things as ideas come up in your head. Um, and then just it, overall, like you, you've got to know your corporate objectives, you know, no matter what level you should be able to, like you get in a room with the CEO, be able to lift, list off the corporate objectives. So just venture out mentally and emotionally out. Um, and then also it goes inward too. So um, what I found, uh, we all have good and bad days. Um, I try to sit and think, gosh, that was a horrible day. Why didn't I like that? Um, mm -hmm. I tend to like harmonious environments. So if there's a day where there's a lot of conflict, um, I'm fine with conflict, but generally it's something that I, I, I don't like. I'm like, ah, let's, let's try to make this better. Um, on the contrast, a really good day, right? Um, what do I like about good days? Um, I tend to like to win as a team. I like bringing everyone together. I like achieving the next big step or small step, I should say. Um, and so knowing what you like and don't like um, is, is good. And then the thing that I'll hit a lot on too is um, your inner thought process. I think as women, um, and even particularly if you're young in your career, you have a lot of ideas, but it's terrifying to, to let them outside. So, mm -hmm. you know, try to, I try to build like a list of things internally of ideas that I have. And really the sweet spot here is if you're contextually aware and you know yourself, pretty soon there's gonna be a convergence of where you have a great idea of something that you're highly motivated in um, that can add value to the organization. That's a gap that you're trying to fill. Um, so an example in my career is, you know, five years ago, they said, build a testing org, or excuse me, they said, build a quality assurance org. 
Um, well, the first thing I had to start with was just general testing practices. But I knew that in order to get good testing within the organization, we had to look broader and look at the upstream things. So we had to look at the software development life cycle. Um, so I started asking around of who owned it, what did it look like, um, how was it operating, and I got crickets. So I talked to a lot of people, I put up a proposal, and I took ownership of it. I you know, talked to my boss, he vetted it out, and lo and behold, they gave me the software development life cycle. So um, that's just, a, you know, it wasn't part of my job description that you're going to do this. It's just something that where I had a desire to do it because I'm a process person. I think it would add value to the company. Mm -hmm. and I made a move. And it worked out. Yep. That's great. So I, I think I, like one of the key things, a lot of what you're talking about is soft skills. You mentioned like using your spidey sense and that's like kind of your intuition. That's sort of like what's going on. Speaking about contextual awareness, being aware of the things and the personalities and the business goals that are happening around you. And so I've, I've long often thought, and you're absolutely proving it in what you've just mentioned, is that if you can use soft skills, it really flex into your soft skills in a technical world, it's like a superpower. It's like a superpower. And I think that the, the, the departmental growth, the way that your career trajectory has gone is really, um, it's supporting that. So I think that's, that's a fantastic bit of um, advice for everybody. So what are some of, it sounds like you've learned a lot of lessons along the way, like as you've gone through and you've tested and tried different things and you know built roles for yourself, broken through different um, perceived barriers, like what are some of the big lessons that you've learned along the way in your career? Sure. I think um, trusting your gut is one and building that confidence. Um, <laughs> I won't give details. Uh, this actually happened like three weeks ago. I was in a meeting uh, with people probably well above my pay grade. And I, I kind of had got a little hair up my tissue and, and put forth kind of a bold statement. Um, I think it landed fine, but I got out of that meeting and was like, oh God, like <laughs> a little like <laughs> And then, um, you know, some other things happened and, you know, the things that I stated came to fruition. Like, mm -hmm. so it was kind of like, I, it was a good, even, you know, now like a learning lesson, like it's okay to take a little risk and get your opinion and thoughts out there. Um, the second piece is, you know, sometimes it's a tap on the shoulder. Um, sometimes you gotta take what you want and obviously respectfully so, you know, you're not trying to go take anyone's job, any of that nature. That's, you know, you have to be careful of that. But um, if you see a gap, like take it. And so, you know, keep your eyes open like I discussed before. Um, the third thing is um, iteration, right? So five years ago, I, I didn't lay out to a T everything that has happened thus far. Um, it was very much, uh, I think it would be a one-year focus that I tended to do. Right, so what's next? So basically I went from testing and then I added process ownership. And then I, I said, okay, well, for, in order for us to change, we need an organized transformation program. And then more recently it's, hey, we have got a gap of product operations and governance. So put a pitch in for that. So it's very much an iterative cycle. Um, and then as you start, or as I've started to expand, um, you know, we went from an eight-person organization to a 34-person organization over the past four years, and that costs money. Um, and so I, I had to learn real quick, and I, I mean, I'm still improving this for myself, of presenting opportunity um, in terms of business value. And so incrementally, I had to go work with my boss, work with our budgeting process, you know, put up a very... Um, good business case for someone to invest in this capability. 
Um, and um, that was really hard at first, turning quality into value. Um, but I had a great boss. I had some mentors along the way to help me do that. But if you can learn how to do that, um, that's going to really benefit both the company and your career. Yeah, that is a fantastic piece of advice. And we do a lot of these um, continuous learning or educational sessions at Great Data Minds. And a common theme throughout this is anytime anybody has something they want to pitch to the company, you always have to attach business value to it. I think that's invaluable advice. Really great. Thank you so much, Lisa. Good yeah. knowledge bombs. Knowledge bombs coming around. Okay, let's turn, um, we'll turn the, uh, the spotlight onto you, Sharon. Um, and so what we're talking about is kind of you, the, the name of your sort of segment here is active in the middle of innovation. And I know that you are working at the DCP Tech Ventures um, group. So it's kind of, I, I just, I'm fascinated by what it is that you do on a day-to-day. -day. And I don't want to try to um, paraphrase it. Can you explain a little bit more about this um, really interesting role that you have? Yeah. Um, yeah. I'll take a, a little bit of time to do that because it is, there's a lot that encompasses it. And yeah. it's also, um, it's also very unique, I think, um, in its structure and 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 our and also our charter of what we have going. So at, at DCP Tech Ventures, like I mentioned, we're wholly owned by DCP Midstream. Um, so we're a group within the organization. We report to the Chief Transformation Officer um, in the company, and and what we do is we we really look at um, we look at ways. <clears throat> to bring in emerging technologies into, into the company. Um, and also thinking about, like I mentioned, future-proofing, helping us accelerate, but not just technologies that are mature today. What we really mm -hmm. focus on is that three to five-year roadmap. Like where do we wanna be in three to five years from now? What is a young um, emerging technology that is applicable and again, like Lisa mentioned, like business case, right? One of the things I do all the time is building a business case for a particular, not just from a technology. We don't do technology for the sake of technology on its own. We, we partner with the business, understand the problems, see where the gaps are, scan the landscape, work with our partners in a number of ecosystems, universities, startups, early and growth stage, um, venture capital environments, accelerators, and we use and we use those partnerships to kind of crowdsource um, what's what's starting to be developed in the market that are that's applicable for us. And so we're constantly we constantly have this pipeline and this funnel coming through. And so we we think about things in business case and business value, not just in six months from now or a year from now. We look longer term. Um, so it's it, it's 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 challenging, but it's also really interesting because you. You get to look at everything that's out there and not just look at the technology individually, but then thinking about how does this all fit and piece together? How, what's our strategy and how is it going to look once it's matured and we've proved it out in the next three to five years? So we're constantly evaluating that. I look at the digital solution side. We also have an energy transition side, which my colleague focuses on, like carbon capture, um, CCUS, um, solar. I mean, so much stuff on that side as well. And I really look at it like I'm, I'm focusing on the data value chain. So I look at everything from IoT sensors, like how are we collecting data? So mechanisms that collects, collects data 
turn that into information. And then the next step along that, particularly that's important in the business value in the business case is then how do we generate actionable insights from all of that information? Like how do we drive our operations forward um, and create value, create efficiencies for the organization? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, never a dull day is like maybe how I would <laughs> sum this up. I, it's, it's fascinating because technology moves and changes so fast. And so you're looking at pieces of tech that are brand new, also trying to make sure that they're going to be sustainable, that they're gonna be helpful for the company like three to five years out. I feel like your brain is working forwards and backwards at the same time, which is yeah. Yeah. fascinating. Sure. Yeah, <clears throat> we are thinking forward. And, and I love that perspective and you're right, it's backwards as well because Mm -hmm. We're a 70 year old company. We have systems in place that have been here for you know, 10, 20, 30 years. Mm -hmm. And so we have to make sure what we're bringing in also is somewhat backward compatible and can work with what we have today because we can't rip and replace everything, right? I mean, right. that would be like, the, that would be ideal, but that's not realistic for us to be able to do. So yeah, you're constantly balancing all of that. And we just get to work with really, really great startups. And mm -hmm. it's just mind-blowing what people are doing out there, what people are thinking about. Um, and every day I go to work and I learn something new every day. I'm, I'm always learning. Wow, that's wonderful. Okay, so one of uh, the, the, the second question that I have for you is that um, when we were talking um, in our prep session, we sort of um, uncovered that you had unintentionally future-proofed your organization for COVID and remote work. Um, I just would love for you to share that, uh, that story with um, the audience because I thought that was just so, so interesting how it kind of already, you seem to have been, the world goes remote, but you guys were like, we're already here. We're ready. Yeah. So just to give a, a, everyone an overview of DCP midstream, right? So we're a natural gas midstream company. So we transport and process natural gas. Um, we, we process 12% of the natural gas in the United States, right? So we're really important. It's an important part of the energy value chain for the country. Um, and so given that we have like 60,000 miles of pipeline, we have 40 processing plants across uh, five states. So really, you know, intensive, you know, large operations. And <clears throat> like about four or five years ago, um, we started embarked down this digital transformation journey. You know, our CEO had gone out to the field doing tours, you know, an anecdotal story. And he was asking folks that have been working at DCP for 30, 40 years, what has changed with your job? And there was a resounding nothing. And he went, uh-oh. <laughs> uh, and so then, so we started this digital transformation journey. Anyway, fast forward a few years, we've gone into remote operations. So we're, we're remotely operating um, a number of our plants um, from our corporate offices in downtown Denver. Um, and then in addition with that, um, we've started to um, really look at all the data that we're bringing into the organization. So out of all of our plants, we were collecting, um, I ran a calculation at one point, we were bringing in about 7 billion individual time series data points a day. Um, Jessica would love to talk to you more about time series and data science. Um, and so, but from that, tons of data, but not actionable. So we started building this, um, what we call internally, we're not marketing people, um, a decision support system, where we 
turn that data into KPIs and metrics where we can take action on and identify what's the most important thing that we should be looking at across our operational footprint um, at any given moment of any given day. So 24 by seven. So we built this out for a couple of years um, and then COVID hit and we also had remote operations and we literally over a weekend um, moved all of our remote operations and, and all of that from downtown Denver into people's homes. So we didn't skip a beat. None of our plants went down. We just transitioned over. And then also we're all remote and we could all 24 seven see the state of all of our plants, all of our operations across our footprint. And we really didn't skip a beat from, you know, executive management point of view, making um, leadership decisions all the way through to operators making day-to-day, -day, you know, running of the plants. And it really helped us yeah, it really helped us future-proof for, um, for COVID. And we didn't skip a beat. Our CEO in some of our all-hands calls were like, you guys, this is better than Netflix and any reality <laughs> TV show. You've got to be on DSS watching this data all the time. Mm -hmm. um, and and we, we posted our best half a year ever was that first, year, first half of, of COVID. Um, so it really showed that, you know, this future proofing is really important. And in retrospect, like looking back in hindsight at the end of 2020, our executive leadership said, you know what, this was the one of the most important things that we had done um, ahead of COVID that we didn't know, realize at the time how critical it was going to be. And so we really doubled down um, on this future-proofing technology innovation, bringing in innovative um, technologies, companies, hardware and like, products and software uh, into the organization. Yeah. Wow. That's, I mean, that is a, that's quite a feat. And it's, I, I think it's like extra, it's extra awesome because of the uh, legacy industry that is, you know, natural gas. Like this, it's a, it's a big old behemoth, and you were right out front and had really prepared everything very well. So I think that's that's a fascinating story. Thank you so much, Sharon, for those insights. Um, so Jessica, let's turn let's let's turn the spotlight to you now, ma'am. So I know what we what we talked about in our prep call was breaking gen, I mean, we, we talked about breaking uh, barriers in data. And then as our conversation went on, it was like really gender barriers, cultural barriers, age barriers for you um, in data. So I am um, just, I'd love to hear more about what was, you know, kind of the catalyst for you initially to even want to get into data and analytics and, and into the petroleum, um, you know, industry as well. It's kind of like two things that you might not find, uh, you know, somebody young can be female working in. Yeah. Um, so something I didn't mention before, I'm originally from Venezuela. Um, so I grew up in an oil town. Um, so that kind of led me to start as a petroleum engineer and I go and my undergraduate. Um, I like math and physics and it just made sense. And honestly, I love traveling and the oil industry takes you to a lot of places to work. So that was also one of my biggest motivations, a little selfish, but um, so then I started working in the field um, and I quickly realized I was one of the few uh, women uh, in the field. Um, a lot of the times my crew, um, when I was working offshore in our boat, we were about 20 people in the crew and it was me and maybe another female and then 18 men. Um, and we'll, you know, have two rooms to share. Um, so that was that was interesting, but 
you know, initially, um, let me go back to the questions. What made you inspire? So initially I was just fascinated by the operations, the logistics, just everything that goes into working in the oil field. Um, and I felt like I had to also prove myself and that woman can do that job um, kind of thing. Um, then, you know, my career took me to other places. I've worked in other places in South America. Then I moved to Italy. Um, and then as a Latin woman working outside of, even outside of Venezuela in South America was still hard. Um, not hard, but you know, there are a lot of perceptions that you have to break. Um, and then, you know, when I was, after working for a few years in operations, I realized I really wanted to be more technical. I really liked the data and I like to dig into the technicalities or like the physics, the math that I was going through and not just the logistics of the operation. And that's when I decided to, you know, quit my job, move to Golden and pursue my master's. Um, it was still master's in petroleum engineering, but my um, experiments were um, collecting a lot of data, time series data. Um, and I had them running for months. So I had to learn how to deal with all this data. Um, so that kind of, um, it was just super exciting and, and fun to play with it. Then I learned, I, I met um, the CEO and the VP of sales at Well Data Labs, and they offered me to work there while I was still finishing my master's. And then um, even more fascinated with the amount of data that we're collecting from the field. Um, and like Sharon mentioned, like that wasn't being used. Um, so I came in to just try to figure out a way to use this data and um, partner with our customers and with other vendors um, to show the industry that like, we can use this data, it's super useful. Uh, we can help you be more efficient in your operations. Um, and, you know, I, I was there for five and a half years and I, I loved working there, but it came to a point that I was like, I, I, I really love the data science world. And I feel like it's time for me to stay completely outside of my comfort zone um, and be in a new industry and learn something totally new. Um, is that? And that's where you are now. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's fantastic. So it's that when you tell stories about being the, you said, you said on a ship, did you say on a ship? That you were one of two women on a ship with 18 men. I feel like we could have a whole reality TV show based on that alone. But um, I'm sure that gender dynamics in that environment or other environments that when you're in the field that have you found yourself in, can you talk a little bit about how that has come into play in your career at large? Yeah, for sure. Especially being a younger uh, female leading a crew of older men um you know when they, that's the key right there yeah. leading a crew of older men how did that happen how did that work out <laughs> so I mean I definitely learned a lot um and I, you know initially for me it was you know super overwhelming and then I felt like this little girl that is trying to tell like all these grown men what to do and they would look at me like oh you're so cute um and then you know initially for me it, it felt like I had to prove myself um, like I know what I'm doing. I just have to prove myself for them to listen to me and create like that relationship. Um, and that was like my initial kind of experience in that, in that um, environment. Then I was moved to Ecuador to work for a few months, uh, in the jungle. And then I had to like, kind of start over again, because I didn't have that report with the crew there. And it felt even a little harder because there was also the cultural difference. 
uh, even when we speak the same language is still, you know, a different culture. Uh, and you have to kind of like get into that, uh, create that relationship. Um, and that felt way harder for me than back home. Um, then I moved to Italy and it's kind of the same, right? And then I moved here. So um, I realized initially, you know, I was like, I just have to prove myself to these people and then they will know that I am capable and I can do this job. And then I realized it was more of a trust, um, not issue, but, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a period of trust. And I, and I learned that whether when I hire someone or uh, when I step into a new role or when I get a new boss, it's like there is a period when you have to create that trust. Um, and it's not necessarily I have to prove myself or they have to prove themselves to me. But we have to create that report for us to trust each other and be like, OK, I know you're capable, but I just still need to see that we can work together, that this you know, work relationship is going to be successful. Um, so I've learned to be to have that grace period or to give myself and give others that grace period of we're just in a creating trust period. And once we achieve that, we're going to be productive. But initially, it's going, there's going to be that barrier, whether it's gender, culture, age or just trust issues. Right. So, I mean, these are, those are all like, it sounds like they're biases, right? Like it, these are things that people see you, they, they see that you're a young woman and you know, you might, you, you're coming from a different culture and then they have a perceived notion of sort of how that interaction is going to go um, with you. And you're talking about um, sort of leading with, you said a grace period, but it's like leading with grace. Right. You're you are allowing for um, somebody else to have their opinion or to, to enter the relationship with you with their preconceived notion. And mm -hmm. you are giving them um, a grace period of time to sort of like get to know you. And I just um, I just feel like it's worthwhile to say in this day and age of our great divide that we have in our society that I think that that is a fabulous not only work lesson, but it's the life lesson that if we can all just try to be a little more empathetic and uh, give people um, grace period, maybe we would be a little bit better off uh, as a society. So I think I just want to commend you on that because you mentioned that initially when we spoke and I was sort of floored that, um, yeah. that that's how you're leading. And you mentioned biases is like biases are just perceptions, right? We have, we have built a perception with someone or a group of people. Um, and then it's really hard to break that perception and say, actually, that's, that's just in my mind. It's not really, it's not a reality. It's not the truth. And we all have them. And, and it's really hard to deal with them. Um, but especially, I think when we, um, the way I, I, as I mentioned with the grace period, the other, the other, I would say the other thing that I, my other tool or that I use is always, um, thinking that the other person is doing their best and not attaching that to a perception or a bias that I have about the person, whether because they're younger or older or whatever, uh, not to think like, oh my God, this person just doesn't know, don't know what they're doing because X, uh, but just change that narrative to they're doing their best and yeah. this is what they can do. And whether I am not provided, if it's a person that reports to me or works with me, it's like either I'm not provided the resources for them to be successful or really this is their capability and I'm not setting them up for success because I'm asking them to do something they are not mm -hmm. capable to do. Yeah. 
this is that I mean this is great you're talking about empathy and you're talking about putting yourself in other people's shoes and also looking at the relationship or the situation and thinking what can I do better here as well right so that's these are very grown-up concepts Jessica I appreciate this um okay so let's go let's go let's go back to the top so thank you for for all that insight and I'd like to start with um Lisa again I'd like to go kind of round robin through everybody and this is a question that I love to ask I ask it in healthy women leaders and I ask it for GDM women I ask it all the time is what is a piece of advice that you would give to your younger self if you could stand there with that woman that eager young woman of you know maybe 20 years ago or something like that what what would you tell her and Lisa, we'll start with you. Excellent question. Um, I would say know your worth. Um, I kind of consider myself a bit of a late bloomer. Mm -hmm. And so really, um, if you don't believe in your thoughts or, in I, or ideas, no one else will. Mm -hmm. So really focus in on understanding your worth, know what you like, know what your passions are, uh, know what you're good at, and then stand by those things. Yeah. Believe in yourself. Absolutely. I feel I, I, I can't agree with you more. I feel like sometimes when the world seems to be crushing in or you feel like you're nervous or something, I'm like, just like, girl, you got this. Why not you? You know, why not you? If any one of you amazing women can sit here and tell your story today, why not somebody else who's listening on the call? I, there's no reason why. So I think that's fantastic. So Sharon, same question to you. What would you, what advice would you give um, to your younger self? Um, yeah, there's so much, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I think one of the big ones is that the world is not equitable yet. Mm -hmm. uh, I, you know, I think growing up when I grew up, you know, the women's movement, I was told is come and passed and everything was fine. And, um, you're going to go into the workforce and, you have the same opportunities as everybody else. And I quickly, well, I, I learned that that was not necessarily the case, um, but it took me a really long time to realize it because I kept self-reflecting and kept thinking, there must be something wrong with me. There must be something that I don't know yet that mm -hmm. I need to go and continue my education and learn so that mm -hmm. I am perceived, you know, my, at the same level as my peers. And so I really, I had a lot of insecurities just about myself. So yeah, I went and got a master's. I then went and got an MBA, right? And it was after I got my MBA, um, we were sitting in a, and I've never told the story. And um, I probably think about it every single week, at least once a week for the last 10 years, 15 years. We were, we were just acquired by a public company. So my small startup and, um, we, we were sitting, um, getting an under, getting a, a, a lunch and learn on mm -hmm. um, what it's like to be a public company and reporting and financials and um, reporting to Wall Street and all that sort of stuff. And so they, the, they put up a slide that had FASB on it, you know, the Financial Accountants Standards Boards or something like that. And mm -hmm. it was me in a room of 15, 20 guys that above my pay grade and they asked, um, does anyone know what this is? And I just blurted it out. And everybody in the room like turns and looks at me, was like, how, how did you know that? And I sat there and I said, my, the dog I adopted was named Fasby. 
And I didn't say it's because I went to business school and I yeah. learned and I took two semesters of accounting. So I was already like, um, what do I say? I was diminishing my own worth and value, mm -hmm. right? Because I didn't want to, and I, when I reflect on it, I realized I didn't want to make other people feel bad. Yeah. I didn't want them to feel bad about it. And I think back on that now and I'm like, oh, why did you do that? Like, why couldn't you have that confidence to say, hey, I knew this. Like, I know what this right. is. I know how to, you know, read, read the standards every year or that they come out and X, Y, Z. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I really take that as a lesson of, you know, it, there's a bunch, there's the imposter syndrome, you know, that mm -hmm. we, we all live with. I just saw a post on a woman I, I follow on Instagram about imposter syndrome that just this morning and every comment on it was like, me too, me too, me yeah. too. Right. And I think it's, it's, it's finding that voice um, mm -hmm. and being confident, you know, just what Lisa said, it's like being confident in who you are and what you know and not yeah. being afraid to speak that, right? Mm -hmm. And sometimes it, it, might, it, it, it might be difficult for it to land, um, but it's really important that you believe in yourself, right? And you yeah. believe in the knowledge that you, that you have. And so I wish, I wish I could write that letter to my, my younger self coming out of grad school because I would have saved a lot of money on masters and MBAs and, and all of that yeah. stuff. Oh man, what, what you're talking about is making yourself small. Like women have a tendency to kind of, we diminish or we sort of turn down um, some of the power or the worth like Lisa was talking about. And I think that that is a fantastic piece of advice is that the way that we get the world to be more equitable is that we stand strongly on our own two feet in our power with your big, fantastic, beautiful brain that you knew something that everybody else didn't know. And we fully own that. So I feel like that's a fantastic piece of advice. And, you know, we, we it's it really when you start to like dig in and like kind of peek under the covers of the ways that women even have in their speech patterns of sort of turning down, you know, what they're saying so that it's, it lands more softly. Like there's, there, there's a lot going on um, behind that. So that's another fantastic piece of advice. Um, and then, so Jessica, the same question to you, what is the advice that you would give to your younger self? Um, I mean, I, I don't want to already like repeat what uh, Lisa and Sharon already said. So, uh, but definitely be more confident. Um, I would say kindness and humbleness can go really far in professional relationships. It comes to a point that, you know, you, going back again to my younger, you know, career where I always felt like I had to like prove myself and kind of yell, this is, I know what I'm doing. This is, you know, I can be in charge of, of, of this operation. Um, and always trying to prove myself came to a point that now in my career, I'm more like, I'm going to take a step back. I'm just going to, you know, let things sit in. And my moment is going to come where I'm going to, you know, um, I don't, I don't have to like all the time be that person, but um, yeah. And, and just building again on what I mentioned before, you know, being kind and, and humble and understanding what the other person is capable or not capable of doing and always expect, like knowing that, not thinking that they're all, always against you. It's not personal. Um, all these biases and all these things that we still have to deal with, like being in a meeting and the men saying something uh, or me proposing something and then the men repeating and everyone agrees with men. Um, and you're like, I just said that. 
Um, it just, I have to repeat myself every time. Like, this is not personal. This is just like all of our biases. You just don't still, it's so embedded in our society. So being kind to myself to not get upset, <laughs> um, but also to others to understand that, um, you know, there's still a lot to do to remove a lot of these biases. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's, there's, there's so many truths in that. Now, what, what you just said might be one of the, the big keys of all is be kind, especially to yourself first. Like give, give this girl some credit, right? She's doing a really good job figuring out some tough stuff, you know, and the world isn't equitable and there are biases and you're still kind of uh, working through it and showing up every day. And that's fantastic. Um, and then also like kindness is, uh, leading with kindness, like you said, and kindness can be contagious too. Like we all know about contagions right now and things that have the potential to go viral um, in any way, shape or form. And I think that kindness is the same. And when you approach your day-to-day with a little bit more of that, that can help to positively influence the people that you come into contact with. And that can help the, you know, the further people that they go with too. So I think that that's um, a fantastic piece of advice. And I just, I thank you all so much. This is like the, this conversation is just so inspiring um, to me, not only to talk to powerful women that are doing these amazing things in the world of data and analytics, but also like life lessons along the way. And how do we be nicer to each other and have more confidence and be brave. And this is, this is fantastic. So Thank you all so much. We have just a few minutes left, so I'd love to open it up on the chat. Um, if anybody has any questions, they are free to, um, to add them in, and we'll see if anything comes through. So what'd you think, Julie? I loved it. It was just as good as last year. I swear, you ladies are amazing, amazing. Mm-hmm. And I was watching the um, chat, and so we had a lot of great comments that, of course, we'll capture, and I think everyone was seeing but I think this was just as good as our first annual. So it looks like we're going to have to have a third annual. Yeah, that's it. Every year. We'll do it every year now. That's great. Okay, so I don't see any questions coming through. And we will be mindful of the time. We have just a couple minutes for everybody to rush off to their next thing. We all know there's another thing. But again, thank you so much. Thank um, you. Rowan, Lisa, Sharon, Jessica, Julie. Oh, thank great. you all for showing up today. And Um, This has been fantastic. Thank you, Kalia, for all your hard work on this. And everyone, take care. Have a great day. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye.